Welcome to another episode of This Engineering Life, the undergraduate series. I'm Rebecca Simmons, an associate professor of the practice in mechanical engineering and material science at Duke University. I'm joined with co-hosts Grant, Sydney, and Fran, undergraduate engineering students also at Duke. In this episode, we're talking about risk-taking. This is an episode really close to my heart, as in all the conversations that I have with students about engineering and design and just other aspects of their life, I'm often encouraging them to take risks, realizing that it's very personal. What risk means to one student will be different than to another, and deciding when to take the jump, when to pivot, when to hang on, these are all decisions that have to be made. So we're going to talk to two undergraduate students and a professor and get their perspectives on risks that they've taken and just general advice. Thank you for listening. Hey everyone, I'm here with Claire. She's a mechanical engineering junior from New Jersey. And I took engineering 121 with Claire actually with Professor Dr. Simmons. And I learned that Claire has incredible fashion sense and by far the best shoe game of anyone on campus. With that, welcome to the show, Claire. Hello. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks. So I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about what comes to mind when you think of risk. I personally, like starting off in high school, definitely wasn't um, an incredibly risky person. But I decided to take a gap year before coming to college to work on a startup company. I wasn't really sure when I was going to go to college, if I was going to go to college, and how the startup would work. But based off that experience, I definitely began to take a lot more risk in my career, especially at Duke. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit more about that startup? Yes. I actually worked on a project my senior year. I did this thing called the Governor School of Engineering. And after doing that, we had to present our final product and we wanted to get a patent. So we were looking for commercial viability. And my job was to create a bunch of blueprints for a house. And when we finally went to present it, the architectural engineer had said, this is all wrong. All of your calculations are wrong. All of the projections are wrong. So I sat with him for the following month or two going over how to correct it. And I was curious as to why the software didn't auto-correct these errors, considering at two to $3,000 um, a year to pay for the software. So I spent most of my senior year creating the software and decided to take a gap year and sell it to different engineering and construction firms. That's awesome. So are you still involved in that? I'm slightly involved in it. I sold most of it actually to a company in Durham, and that's how I decided to come to Duke. But day to day, I don't do a lot with it right now. That's really cool. I didn't know that about you. So you mentioned that was kind of your pre-Duke risk experience. So what would you say is your risk experience at Duke? I mean, Duke is a highly rigorous place, especially engineering. We have a really crazy workload. So it wasn't my first thought to get super heavily involved in clubs. And instead, I decided to explore startup opportunities in Durham and other students who are interested in startup opportunities. Ended up meeting a student who worked for Kevin Durant. He was running his clothing line and was doing ambassador-based research and finding different campuses where he could give people the clothes, especially athletes. So I invested a lot of time in that. 
and started coding for them. So I worked on their website and inventory stuff and learned a lot from that experience. So I think it was a great opportunity and great idea to take that risk in not getting involved in clubs and spending a lot of my social time working. Wow. So is your coding experience all from high school? Yes. I started coding in 2012. Hurricane Sandy destroyed our family's beach house. So I got super involved in volunteering at food pantries. And it was a government subsidy pantry, which means they have to follow a lot of regulations. and They're constantly changing location and updating their website, updating paperwork. And my job specifically was to provide everybody with the paperwork as they came in. And it was very, very annoying. So I decided to learn how to code and made them a really basic website and database. And then when I took a gap year, after I did the startup, I ended up taking a graduate level coding course for database structure and different types of web development at Rutgers before I got to do. So it's really interesting. A lot of my experience is with coding, but I am getting a mechanical engineering degree. So it's cool to see how those things combine. You led me into what my next question was going to be. I want to know where mechanical engineering comes from. So mechanical engineering and code obviously are a bit different. But in terms of collabing them, I think machine learning is something I'm really interested in exploring further. I do have a bit of experience making pillowcases for a project at Duke where we found a way to use pressure capacitive sensors to monitor sleeping patterns and how we could use code to optimize analyzing those sleeping patterns and giving people suggestions as to how they could better sleep and how their sleep could be more efficient. That's really cool. So you're an upperclassman and I imagine there are a lot of incoming students and freshmen and myself included at the time who have been interested in gaining this kind of experience with startups and getting involved, especially ones in Durham and at Duke. So how did you approach it? How did you find these opportunities? Yeah, most of them were references where people would say, oh, reach out. You know, Claire might be able to help you out. But as of recent, I've found reaching out to companies and in some sense, shooting your shot and asking them, do you have anything I can do? These are my skills. I would love to do this, this, and that has worked. For instance, I work right now full-time for Mad Happy, which is a streetwear company in LA. And I basically studied their company and, and how they're run. They're very small. They only have 14 employees. They don't have any stores and they're all run remotely. So I kind of studied how they work and what they do. I sent uh, Matt Happy an email basically saying, I've looked at your company, I've looked at your website, I've studied how you guys run, and here's where I think I can help, here's where I think I can improve what you're already doing. And I DM'd him actually on Instagram, and he sent me his email and said, send me your resume, and I went through a few technical tests, and now I'm working there full time. So I would say, do your research as to where you want to work. Don't just send emails to a bunch of companies you know nothing about really find what you're interested in, what you're passionate about, and that will come across when you reach out. And most companies I've interacted with are very, very gracious and would love to talk to you even if, you know, there isn't an opportunity. At least they have your information for the future. Yeah, that's really great. I actually, I did that recently. I found this engineering company. I thought what they were doing was really cool. And I sent them a TikTok I made and they ended up reaching out on watching my TikTok about an engineering project I did for a skateboard project. 
For those who don't know, I built an electric skateboard with an ex-host of this engineering life, Mosin Hader. If these listeners get a conclusion from this, it should be to always shoot your shot. Okay, I do know you do some work with Zion, so I want to hear about that. Yeah, actually, last year he came to campus. I actually met him freshman year, so we were, we were friendly, but he came to campus. I was working on a music project and wanted to meet to discuss some kind of app. I actually remember being in Perkins, like 11.30 p.m. when I got a text saying, come to the studio, you want to talk about this, that, and the third. And I called Simmons, she answered in the middle of the night. And I asked her, do you think I should study for this dynamic test that I know I'm going to fail? Do you think I should go to the studio? I've really been looking forward to doing this. And Simmons gave me very, very good advice. She didn't tell me what to do, but I decided to go to the studio. And from that led to a lot of other opportunities, a lot of other coding projects, a lot of stuff with Zion. In terms of time management, it's very, very hard to get everything you want to do done in a day. So you really just need to pick where you're passionate about what would make you want to wake up in the morning. And obviously, I would rather wake up in the morning and code different types of apps for musicians in Raleigh with Zion versus doing dynamics problem sets. I love that. I'm 100% in agreement. Do you have any parting words, words of advice for younger students listening? Talk to your professors, especially Simmons, and really listen to what, what they have to say. Because the point of college isn't just getting a piece of paper. It's about really finding what you love to do. And I will end it with that. That was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Claire. Yes. Thank you for having me. So, Sydney, what do you think of my chat with Claire? I thought it was phenomenal. I really liked how she mentioned the idea of shooting her shot and just being confident in what she did. Yeah, she is super cool, and that also resonated with me. And just, just going for things, reaching out to people, I think that's really good advice. Absolutely. I totally agree. And that actually reminds me of a friend who really shot her shot, who we're going to speak with next. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to this Engineering Live. It's Sydney here. And today I will be talking with my friend Charlotte Sendek, who is a sophomore studying civil engineering with an architectural certificate. Her and I met through a pre-orientation last year. So thank you, Charlotte, for joining us today. Thank you, Sydney. You flatter me. Awesome. So I wanted to ask you, what was the biggest risk that you have ever taken? Wow. So biggest risk, the first thing I think of right off the bat is freshman fall, I walked onto Duke's rowing team. It was wild. Uh, I've never rowed in my life before, didn't know very much about the sport at all. I ran and danced in high school, so I was always very attracted to athletics, I guess. Um, And the first month of college, as is for most people, I think, um, difficult. I had a lot of time in my hands. I wasn't sleeping right or eating right and I really wanted some structure in my life also most of my friends have all come from team environments so I was missing that a lot which made me walk onto the team and once I was on the team it took a while to be comfortable in my own skin on the team because I was surrounded by so many athletes and these girls are some of the best rowers in the country and I'm just there this little girl which physically small compared to a bunch of the other girls who are really intense about it and wake up every morning to go row and then work out all the time and then go right to class and have to go to sleep early and eat a lot. 
But that was hands down the biggest risk I've ever taken in my life, just throwing myself into a completely new environment and seeing how I fared. Yeah, that is a huge risk, which is so impressive, first of all, to join a Division One sports team never having played before. And I also think that it is even harder being a Pratt student walking onto a sports team because I think you are a little bit unique when you say you didn't, you had a lot of free time because I feel like most <laughs> Pratt students, myself included, always feel like there's not enough time. So I think that that's very impressive that you were able to manage your time. And I totally agree with you that in high school, I also was very involved in sports and most of my friends came from a team. And then mm-hmm. when I got to college and I didn't have that anymore, it was like, whoa, this is hard, you know, making your own friends and just trying to navigate who do I want to spend my time with. But given this challenge and this huge risk, who was there to support you during this journey? I'll say a lot of it was myself. A lot of it was me reflecting every night. I have a journal that I'll write in every night just about what I do during the day and how I'm feeling. Uh, So a lot of it was with that and just convincing myself that this is correct. Although I'm in a dark tunnel and I don't see the light yet, it will appear at some point there will be good in this. Every morning when we went on the water, I was enjoying myself and I really loved it. Every morning when I got off, I would write something down and I say, I really love the sport. I really love everything. And then As the day went on and I was removed from it a little bit, I started thinking, oh, I'm not comfortable with the girls. Like I'm very intimidated by them. I don't like having to get up at 5.30 every morning, but I guess the water and the sport itself kept drawing me back every day and kept me walking through that tunnel. So yeah, definitely a lot of self-reflection, self-talk, self-confidence building, uh, because my parents know really nothing about rowing as I did. Um, And I was alone in my position on the team because I walked on a month later than all the other walk-ons. So the other walk-ons had a month more experience in the sport with the team before me. So I was really completely alone. And I felt very alone in the position I was in. But I noticed as I spent more time with them, and I was able to open up to them and be a little bit more vulnerable about how I'm feeling. A lot of them had similar beliefs, even the freshman recruits who came on a completely new team, a division one team. Some of them came from small high school clubs. And they were talking about how intimidated they were by the older girls and the pressure that they had on them to be great rowers because they were recruited. So I think it helped a lot, not ease into it, but like really give into the amount of time we had to spend with each other. Because once I did that, I got much more comfortable around them. And we became friends soon, very quickly once I started doing that. And it's been great ever since. I love them all. And it's very easy (laughs) to talk to them. They're definitely my support system right now. Wonderful. I totally agree with you when you're saying that it's really important to be vulnerable with people before you can make that connection. And like you said, with the amount of time that you are spending with these girls, It definitely would benefit you and the team as a whole. And I just applaud you for having that self-confidence and inner strength. And it seems like the light is definitely shining more than it was in the beginning. So I'm really glad that happened. So you had mentioned that this is a huge time commitment. You know, getting up and starting a day at like 5 a.m. is is very unique for a Duke student. So what were the trade-offs or the sacrifices that you had to make when you walked onto the rowing team? Uh, Freshman fall was very difficult. I said, oh, I have rowing practice in the morning. That will motivate me to get to sleep earlier. That will motivate me to use the fewer hours I have to do my work. And I thought it would really put me back on track, but I really was not sleeping very much. I was going to bed extremely late to get help on my problem sets with all my friends who were working on it from midnight to 2 a.m. So I was honestly exhausted that whole semester. And another thing that made it very difficult, I was 
pulled away, I guess, from the people I would have made friends with because I was spending so much time rowing and because I was so intimidated by the rowing girls. I was in the middle of two groups. I didn't spend enough time with either group to really feel comfortable in any of them. So freshman fall was definitely lonely, but I did manage to get through just taking it one day at a time. And then once I found myself comfortable with my teammates, it made it much easier to go out and hang out with other people and be happy with the other girls I quote would have been friends with with even though we still are definitely friends now if I hadn't walked onto the team but yeah sleep and social life I'd say were the two biggest sacrifices that first semester I I remember this distinct memory we both happened to pass each other walking back to our dorm in Trinity it was probably past midnight and we both had just finished a long like homework session or something in the library and I was just like oh what are you doing tomorrow and you were like oh I'm running a half marathon in the morning and I was like (laughs) what in the world I was like I think that was very impressive and I think that that's a perfect example of the sacrifices you did have to make that was incredible (laughs) thank you on that point it just made me think of another thing I think another thing that carried me along with my self-talk was just having fun with everything and treating everything as an opportunity to smile and have fun and make a connection. And yeah, that half marathon was purely, purely for fun, but I enjoyed it and it's a memory I will have. Yes, risk taking, having fun, very important. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And it seems like all the sacrifices you had made have been really rewarding. So I guess my last question for you is, Do you have anything that you wish you would have done differently? Any advice for someone who's thinking about taking a risk, even if it's not in the sports area? Yeah, so the rewards are more than I can ever imagine. But I started getting more comfortable in my own skin on the team right before we were sent home for COVID. So then I spent that summer easing into it, easing into the sport, trying to feel my place on the team. And then now I've spent last fall and this spring and I I, I love it. I, I'm very excited to get up every morning and say hi to the bus driver and get on the bus and learn something new every day with the strokes. Yeah, the rewards are like crazy. Something I would do differently. I've talked a lot about confidence. I think I wish I was more confident right from the start. It took me a while to accept the fact that I could be a competitive rower. Yes, I'm small. So my size is against me. My experience levels are against me. Everything is against me and competing with the other girls on my team. Um, But I think if I just dove right into it and embraced it completely rather than being scared to try or like step over someone or even talk in the boat or voice my opinion, kind of be a leader, I guess, in that situation, I think that would have helped me one transition more and two increase the rewards of the sport. So yeah, just being more confident from the start, something I'm still working on right now. And my advice, I think just something I've learned in all the experiences I've had is when I choose to put myself in uncomfortable situations and seek out challenge for myself, I learn more things about myself, about situations, about life, about teams, about other people, much more than I could have ever learned if I hadn't put myself in that situation. And whenever I'm going through something hard or whether I'm uncomfortable and in my journals, I'm like saying bad words and saying, I just want to give up and everything like that. I realize this is good. This is an opportunity for me to learn something I wouldn't have otherwise learned. That's when you keep pushing because the rewards on the other side will be more than you'll ever expect. And those are the most important times for learning and self-improvement and everything like that. I love that. I think it's so great to see the glass half full of what did I learn from this experience. And you come out having different perspectives. And I think that this can apply to any situation in your life, you know, where even if you're the, um, person with the least experience or someone who's not likely to be in this position like use that as motivation to say like 
you know, I'm going to overcome this and take that extra step to do better. So Charlotte, you are amazing. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> speaking with us today. I'm sure our listeners absolutely loved hearing your story um, and we appreciate your time. Wow, Charlotte just gave some really great advice. I definitely think that I relate to her when she was saying she wishes she was more confident when she went into certain things. And I think that can extend to many areas of my life, not just sports, but academics as well, or even applying for summer internships. Totally agree with you. I actually just started an internship about a month ago myself, and it took me about three weeks until I completed a few things I was actually proud of and gained that confidence before I was able to get comfortable in that role. So I really understand what Charlotte was going through. Absolutely. Have you heard of the class called Learning to Fail at Duke? Yeah, I actually have. It's funny you mentioned that. The next speaker we have is Dr. Aaron Dinnan, who's actually the class's creator. Let's go hear what he has to say. I'm super excited to be speaking with Dr. Aaron Dinnan today. He's faculty in the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Department at Duke and is actually an undergrad who graduated as an English major in 2005. He later went on to get his master's degree in digital humanities, which he describes as where the internet meets English, and he's worked in and created startups on his own. Along the way, he's had the opportunity to teach a class at Duke and is now teaching multiple as a full-time professor in the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Division. Let's hear from Dr. Aaron Din about his thoughts on risk. Thank you, Dr. Din, for being with us here today. A first question for you here, how would you define risk? And do you think that's different from how other people define risk? So I think risk is usually mischaracterized. So something I hear often people say is, or they, they describe entrepreneurs as risk takers. And actually I think entrepreneurs tend to be very risk averse people. In a lot of respects, I say it's a lot more risky to go work for someone else because then you're actually beholden to someone else's whims about whether or not you still have a job and the kind of opportunities you're going to get. Whereas when you're running your own company, you have a lot more control, which is a lot less risky. So risk is, at least in entrepreneurial terms, it actually goes to be very risk averse. As an entrepreneur, you never want to make a decision that you haven't studied and that you don't have as much data as possible to make decisions based on data as opposed to gut feeling. That's interesting then. I don't know if that's quite what I expected. To be honest, when the idea of becoming an entrepreneur and sort of breaking out of the norm, going into your typical nine to five job comes into the question, it seems like a risky maneuver to take, but it's interesting to, to hear your perspective. I do ask though, there's always a chance of failure with anything that you try to accomplish. And from failure comes a lot of learning and growth experiences. What would you say about the payoffs of deciding to do something that maybe just out of your comfort zone? One of the things that my co-founder and I, we always said, education always costs. In order to learn a lesson, you're going to have to pay some sort of expense. And usually what I found is that the bigger the lesson, the more expensive it costs me to learn it. And, you know, an expense, I don't just mean money. Of course, I mean time. I mean reputation. I mean kind of relationships with people. I think riskier behavior, riskier actions, riskier decisions, they have maybe less chance of objectively success, but they have greater chance of education and learning. And so that's a lot of what I think about when I try to teach students about failure, that the bigger, the riskier decisions, the bigger the failures, usually the bigger the lessons that come with it. And as long as you learn to frame it and understand it that way, then there's really no such thing as failing. It's just learning. It's a lot harder to be scared of learning than it is to be scared of failing. Seems like a pretty good trade-off. The thing that we have to think about is different people embody risk differently. And that's actually a big part of what I also try to 
present to my students. You know, we all come from different backgrounds, different lived experiences, different races and genders and social positions. These things all contribute into what is risk and what is not risk. For me, there was certainly a time in my life where it was significantly less risky to pursue certain types of ventures that maybe weren't likely to succeed because I had built-in safety nets in terms of my family or my education or my finances. Those risks change a lot too. For example, I have significantly less tolerance for risk now that I have two young children. My priorities shifted. Not being able to pay the bills isn't the same kind of option that it used to be. And when you take risks, you have to identify and understand that the people that you're engaging with as you're taking those risks, whatever it may be, right? Whether it's building a company or now customers or partners, or if you're taking a risk of asking someone out on a date, you're also asking that other person to take risks. It makes a ton of sense. I do want to ask a few questions about your learning to fail class. Um, and I know there are certain activities throughout the semester that you ask students to take part in that some people may see as risky, even if that's just simply approaching a stranger. Will you talk about what sort of inspired those activities, what they are, and what the goals with those risky endeavors could possibly be? The first class I taught at Duke, just for kind of fun on the side, I was teaching a writing 101 class kind of the last minute. So I said, sure, and they said, you can do about whatever you want. And I called it Learning to Fail. You know, it was a writing class. It was a digital writing. And so it was a project to see if students could get a million people to read their blog in a semester. Right? And so it was obviously that wasn't going to happen. But then at some point, it was the day after the 2015 national championship, I had to teach first thing in the morning. So I just got an idea in my head. I decided I was going to take everyone over to 9th Street and I assigned each person a restaurant. And I said, OK, your job is to go into this restaurant and ask for something for free and you get rejected. Right? That was my that was my whole shtick. What was the worst that happened? Yeah, someone said no, and you walked away. And that was kind of the end of your day. Uh, it didn't hurt. The, the failure wasn't bad. And everyone wound up coming back with just all sorts of food. It was this really fascinating moment to discover that. Not only were they not getting rejected, they were actually learning almost the, the kind of complete opposite lesson. Uh, and the lesson was when you ask, as long as you're willing to, to try things and take certain risks, good things can happen. So that spurred the whole move towards an entire class that was attempting to think about the same things. And as I got deeper into it, and I said, as I brought in this uh, wonderful collaborator, Dr. Gould, she and I really started to dissect these questions of risk. Like I just talked about, it's not just you walk into the bagel shop on 9th Street and say, hey, can I have a free bacon, egg and cheese bagel? Not only are you kind of risking rejection, but the person you're asking, you're putting them in an interesting situation. What if it's someone who is on the manager's good side and the manager is friendly with that person gives you free bagel? I'm like, oh yeah, sure, no problem, just being friendly. Uh, what if it's someone who's not on the manager's good side and suddenly that person gives you free bagel and they get fired for it, right? Like what risks are you putting them into? And so really what we saw this class as and learning to fail in general is as an opportunity to think with real world situations, to not do simulated situations, but to really put people in positions where they can act and respond to real world stimuli. And by that, I mean, if you ask anyone, you say, hey, would you ever lie, cheat or steal? You know, so of course I would never lie or cheat or steal. When you put someone in a real world situation, put something involved, you know, points to their grade, you'll be surprised how quickly they will cheat or lie or steal or deceive or try to beat someone else or try to undercut their competition without any qualms. And you say, well, why did you do that? And so learning to fail is really a class about giving people the opportunity to understand themselves and how they behave in different situations. And there's no right or wrong. It's really self-reflection and self-understanding. 
So then I guess, would you even say that there is a key takeaway from the students in your class, a general one, or is it more the specific learning individually? What am I comfortable with? What risks and what challenges am I okay taking? Yeah, there's no single learning in the class. It's not, okay, everyone's going to come out and you're all going to know how to titrate. And it's a lot harder than organic chemistry. And the reason it's harder, maybe it doesn't seem like it, It's all about self-awareness. It's what are you interested in? What are you comfortable with? What do you like? What don't you like? What are your tendencies? How do you, given a certain task, how do you try to solve it? My favorite thing to do in that class is at the beginning of the semester, I give some sort of kind of crazy task that they didn't expect. Go ask someone for a free meal. And it's so fascinating to see how people just run out to do it without stopping to think, well, okay, what's the process? What should be my strategy? Who am I impacting when I do this, right? Asking those kind of important questions. And that's not wrong. It's perfectly fine. I tell students all the time, it's not wrong to do that. What's important is that you know that about yourself, that that's how you problem solve, troubleshoot. You don't stop to think you just kind of act straight on gut and feel, okay. Once you know that about yourself, you can either put yourself in situations where that type of response is positive, or you can start trying to change it. And either one, again, is fine, but neither of those things can happen until you've taken the time to understand that about yourself. So the other big part of the class is self-reflection. So we have people do what we call failure challenges, go out and do these kind of activities, but then there's always an assignment tied to it, which is what we call a failure log. They have to, about a page, two pages, just reflection. What did they do? Why did they make the decision they made? And usually our students say those are the most important parts of the class. It's them learning to think through their decision-making process. Makes a ton of sense. Thanks so much, Dr. Denon. I really appreciate this. As sort of a final question here, do you have any advice for students that might be considering jumping into a new endeavor or just something that they're a little bit scared about that might be a little bit risky? I think one of my most useful roles at Duke is having been a student here. So what I always like to remind them is you think you can predict the future. You think you can kind of control your destiny. As a Duke student, you're kind of taught the world is yours for the taking and create your plan now and get your right internships and right job and all that and everything will come to you, but you can't possibly control it. So rather than trying to map out some sort of plan, I think the, the risks, take risks, be willing to try things, experiment and be okay if they don't work out well, because that's what's going to get you into an interesting journey through the rest of your life and take you to places you will never expect. It's a pretty cool story that you have here, Dr. Din, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you for having me. This Engineering Life is brought to you by the Pratt School of Engineering at Duke University. A special thanks to all of our interviewees for sharing their experiences. Our senior producer is Dr. Rebecca Simmons. Our editor is Priya Juarez. Our theme music is from Silverman Sound, Audionautics, and Kevin McLeod. Be sure to check back in two weeks when we chat with the Duke community about research opportunities. You can find this episode and more resources online at thisengineeringlife.com. I'm Fran. I'm Sydney. And I'm Grant. And this has been This Engineering Life. See you again soon.